documented. Miracles happening today. All right, welcome back, documented listeners. I'm super excited about our guest today. We're all the way in San Francisco, California. And we have Jason Sanchez on the pod today. And I met Jason through my friend, Andrea. Andrea Aragon married Jason, how many years ago now? Going on nine in March. All right, nine years ago and um, became really good friends with them as a couple. They're now pioneering in San Francisco. And I know little tidbits of Jason's testimony. I know it's really powerful, but we're going to get the details today. And we're excited to have him on. Thank you for having me. If you could just go into some detail about who you were before salvation. Okay, so I uh, grew up in a broken home um, in Texas. I ended up living with my mom. And we used to go to catechism, which is part of a Catholic church. But I remember when I was nine years old, I told my mom, I'm not going back to that place. Pretty much rebelled. Told her I'm not, have no interest in it. Do you remember why? I just, I didn't see any value in it. I didn't really understand what it was about. I just didn't really care about it. So for someone who's not Catholic, what is catechism? Like, what what did you have to do? Catechism is pretty much like a Sunday school type thing. So we'd go on a Wednesday night. It would be equivalent to like a Sunday school. So if like a children's church type thing, all the kids would meet in a classroom and they would give us like some kind of study on the Bible or whatnot. It was nothing that I was really into. I just went because I was forced to. But I think about nine years old, I started really pushing the limits with my mom. And so uh, I didn't go back after that point. And would you say that was your first exposure to God? Yeah, I mean, every Mexican family has that background. You know, I grew up Catholic. I'm a Catholic. You know, my mom still says I was born a Catholic. I'm a die Catholic. So it's just one of those religion things that's deeply rooted in, I think it's a cultural thing for the Mexicans. And was your mom a dedicated Catholic? I think my mom just went with the best of her ability. All she knows is if you just go to Sunday Mass, that's the thing to do. But there's no change. There's no. She doesn't read her Bible. She doesn't do anything beyond that. It's more like punching your time clock. I think at about 10 years old is when I started smoking weed. My buddy used to live across the street. Had an older brother. Guess he got some weed, rolled up some joints, and said, "Hey, man, I got this for my brother. Let's smoke it." I said, "Light it up." And so, ten years old, fifth grade, we used to walk home from school, and I remember it like it was yesterday. And uh, that was pretty much the uh, start of the rest of my destructive life. Wow. But let me back up. I took my first drink of alcohol when I was six years old. My dad was always drinking partying we would rotate weekends one weekend my older brother lived with my father my younger brother lived with me and my mom we would all be at my father's house the following weekend we'd be all at my mother's house and so i remember we were at one of my dad's buddy's houses and he was drinking and i remember i told him i'm thirsty and he reached over grabbed a beer cracked it open and says here you go son drink this so whoa Six years old, took my first drink of alcohol. Ten years old. This is your friend's dad? No, this is my father. Oh, your dad. Okay, yeah. sorry. I missed that. Ten years old, started smoking weed. 
14 years old, started snorting coke, started selling drugs, just anything that I could make money with. Explain this to someone who maybe never did drugs as a child. Was this the neighborhood you were in? Was it lack of supervision? Would your parents know? I mean, obviously your dad. It was all of the above. Okay. Mom just was lived her own life. She was there, but she was just, she really didn't have, wasn't, there was no involvement. My dad was doing his own thing. He mean, even though he wasn't too far, he was really just, it was all about party. So every weekend we'd go stay with him. It'd be a party Friday night, Saturday night. Uh, we'd wake up sometimes. We'd He'd drive us home drunk two or three in the morning, or sometimes we'd wake up at eight o'clock on a Saturday and they'd still be drinking. So that's just what I saw. And so that's just what I knew. Mm-hmm. And um, growing up in a broken home, not knowing then what I know now, I dealt with a lot of rejection. And so the affirmation that I was looking for and the acceptance from my father that I didn't get, I looked for it elsewhere. And so typical young kid looking for a place to fit in, just decided to start hanging out with hanging around with other people who were involved in other things and just got caught up in it. So I guess the whole drinking and smoking was just part of the, the medication to numb the pain, kind of escape from reality. But then it just became a habit. And then it just became something that I did all the time. And then it was something that was like part of my life. Like, what can I do to just get high, get drunk, do whatever I got to do to just, you know, kind of forget about life. Now, were you going to school during this time? Yeah. Yeah. I would attend school sometimes. Didn't really do my homework or didn't really uh, apply myself, but I'd show up only because I knew that there were people there who either wanted the drugs that I needed or I could make money or just people who would show up with and we'd find a way to go do something. So it was kind of like, just like a gathering type thing. And so 17 years old, my house got raided. And at that point is when I realized that if I don't change or leave Texas, then I'd probably end up dead in prison. And so I ended up moving to California. My mom had just moved back to California a few months prior to that. And so I moved to California and thought that I would new place nobody knows me but it's just only a matter of time that I started doing the same thing selling drugs getting high getting drunk it was can you go into that a little bit so you're in Texas and there was a raid what what was that about pretty much I was just selling a whole lot of drugs my name kept coming up it was actually pretty scary once my house got raided because the night prior to that the guy who I got my dope from I called him and told him I needed a re-up and um, he was like on a schedule like every night at nine o'clock he would his phone would shut off and uh, he told me he would call me back thank God that he didn't because the following day is when the cops showed up kicked in my door raided my house and so luckily they didn't find anything but you know scales and paraphernalia had a whole bunch of cash on me but I had a job, so it was they couldn't take it from me because I had a legal job. Worked at Albertsons pushing carts, and so when the cop took me down the road, he told me that my house was under surveillance. I was being watched. My phone was tapped, and they were pretty much 
trying to like catch me with yeah. everything, which was pretty scary to me because I had no idea. I was oblivious to anything that was even going on because I was just caught up in making money. So did you have to do any time because of that raid because of the paraphernalia? Or did it no, it was a class B misdemeanor. And so I escaped. Okay, so you're 17. Mm -hmm. Just turning 18. Okay, and so you were living with your dad in mm -hmm. Texas when they raided yep. the house? What was his response to the raid? At first, I tried to hide it from him, but when he came home, he realized that his room had been ransacked. I had a friend live with me at the time. He told me that my friend was going through his stuff, and I told him it wasn't my friend, and he didn't, he didn't believe me. And I told him, I was, you know, I didn't want to tell him. I was kind of ashamed of it. And so he told me, you know, your friend has to go. He's a thief. He's going through my stuff. And so I just finally went to my room and gave him the warrant and just gave it to him and said, here you go, read this. And it was pretty much a shocker for him. Wow. Because he has a lot of friends who were border patrol, police. He worked for the state. And so he found out and other people found out and he was kind of uh, upset. Wow. So from there, you're like, I'm going to go live with my mom, try to start over. Correct. And then, so tell me, tell me how long that lasted. Like you said, it didn't last very long, but what happened? You know, I didn't know anybody. I moved to a small town. I didn't know anything else, but that's the only way I knew to make money. And so okay. it was either go look for a job and try to do it legally and make a little bit of money or make easy, fast money. And so, you know, when you grow up hustling, that's kind of all you know. And it's hard to go back to making chump change. Correct. $4, $5 an hour at the time. Wow. I was making more money than my dad and my mom combined just selling drugs by myself as a teenager. And then you would just spend the money on partying? Everything. Anything. Anything I could buy. More drugs. More alcohol. It just pretty much... I sold drugs just to pay for my habit. And what was your drug of choice, or was it anything? Anything that would get you high? Yeah, anything. Weed, alcohol, sherm, wet, formaldehyde. I mean, anything. Acid, coke. There was no limits. Because when you're to that point where you're high, it's almost like, what? how can I get more higher? What's another drug that's, you know, how does that drug feel? What is it like to do this? So it was almost like, you know. Are you an only child? No, I have two brothers. I'm the middle child, though. Were they were they involved in all this as well? No. I mean, I, I was kind of, um, I didn't really grow up having a, bit, a relationship with my older brother because he lived with my dad, even though we'd hang out on the weekends or like holidays or family time or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, he was doing his own thing. I always preferred to hang out with my friends rather than my brothers, which I regret now. But mm. looking back, I couldn't see. You know, you just think that these are your brothers, you're going to be them every day, and then you move to another state, and you don't see them very often, once a year, once every two years, and then all of a sudden you start to think about what you could have done differently. I just did my own thing. My, The minute I woke up, it was, I was just on my own agenda, doing my own thing. I was never really, I didn't really let no one get close to me. Didn't really let nobody, um, I guess you could say in my circle, only because the rejection. Right. Didn't want to be hurt. 
even from relationships of girls and whatnot, it was just one to the other to the other. And I guess you could say the drugs was just a, a just a way to medicate the pain. So you're in California now. During this time, did you have anyone who ever uh, confronted or approached you or tried to reach out to you in that time and be like, Jason, what are you doing or what's going on with you? What are you doing with your life? Nope. I mean, when I came to California, my uh, family, my uncles and my family wouldn't let me hang out with my cousins because they knew what I was about. They knew where I came from, why I came from that. But at that point, it was a pride. I was just very prideful, kind of like, here I am. This is what I is. Take it or leave it. And this is what I am. Mm-hmm. Take it or leave it. You know, it's one of those things, like, just kind of like in your face. Like, I wasn't ashamed of who I was. I wasn't ashamed of, you know, doing what I did. It was like, I'm... Jaded to it, kind of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what we do. This is who I am. And if you don't like it, then find it fair, fair enough with me, like... I don't really need your relationship or yeah. I don't need anything from you. If you could sum up, like looking back as you as a kid and that you, you were mentioning like a lot of it was medicating the rejection. What was the biggest rejection you felt that you feel like, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Like what, what was that rooted in? Mainly? Probably my parents divorcing when I was six. Gotcha. No, I was four years old when I got divorced. Do you remember it? I just remember my brother and my mom were had to go move to live in an apartment, and I didn't understand why. And then I was wondering where my older brother Jacob was, and he stayed with my dad. But there was just a lot of stuff. Like my older brother probably suffers rejection way more than I do because... My parents put him through like hypnosis, acupuncture, took him to a psych ward. He got out of a stray jacket when he was nine years old. I mean, just, I think they did more damage to him than anything, trying to figure out why. But looking back now, I know that it's because of the rejection that the way he was, even till today. So tell me, in that, in that, so you, you go to California and there was this brief moment after the raid where you're like, man, I don't want to get locked up. Or what What was the reality in that? Was it I, you wanted to live a different life? Did you have any reference points for people who are living differently? No, I just know that I couldn't trust anybody because somebody stitched on me. Um, oh, okay. I didn't know if it was a friend of mine. I didn't know who it was. But from what the officer told me, he told me that my name kept coming up a lot the past six months. And so... They really, really, really strategically made it a point to wait till I was caught slipping to take me down. So you already were living this distant life from people, like with walls up. And mm-hmm. then on top of that, the people you did trust, you feel like now snitched on you. So you're probably even more paranoid. Correct. So tell me about your time in California. What was that about? Did you ever have a time where you're trying to turn it around yourself? Or were you just like, nope, this is who I am. I'm going to be all in. Yeah, I tried to get a job and work but I didn't have any like skills or anything like that I remember I was about to turn 21 I was 20 years old and I had a buddy who lived a couple houses down when I moved to California and he was an electrician and I remember he had a 
boat, had a jet ski, had a truck, had a dirt bike, had a car. And I just asked him one day, he's like, man, what do you do, bro? Like, what yeah. do you got all this stuff? I'm, I'm, I'm doing something wrong. And he just said, I'm an electrician. I said, what is that? He said, you should go try it out. You'll, you'll like it. And the very next day I went and I applied. And I remember telling myself, my older brother joined the Marines and I was 20 years old. And I remember telling myself, I'm either going to join the Marines or I'm going to move back to Texas. And I ended up getting a job doing electrical work. And I remember I really enjoyed it, but I was really bad at it because <laughs> I didn't know how to use a tool for the life of me. Okay. The only tool I knew how to use was a scale. <laughs> and so I remember my boss used to tell me, maybe this isn't the profession for you. Maybe you should reconsider this. But there was something inside of me that wanted to prove him wrong. Okay. And not only that, but I realized that I needed to change my life or else I wasn't going to live very long. Wow. I just, it's interesting. I tell my wife this all the time. It's like every year that goes by, I'm just amazed because growing up, in that environment, like you don't expect to live very long, you know, just the violence and the drugs and just everything that's involved with it. Like it's not a very safe place to be. And you day. know that while you're in it? Yeah, because I mean, it's just, it just comes with it. Like, you know, shootouts and people shooting at you and mm -hmm. just stuff. I look back and I'm like, how the heck am I still alive? Wow. Even living past 21 was just a huge monument for me. Were you scared to die as a kid? No, I just that? looked at it like it's part of life. Everybody dies, you know, nobody knows when. I mean, I had friends who died when I was 15. I had friends dying growing up, 17, 19. So Jeez. it's just, it just becomes life to you. Like, that's just how it is. I mean, when you live that life. So would there be moments of you, like at those those funerals or when you were, were would you ever grapple with the afterlife you know what i would think about death was one of those things where kind of like makes you think about life but i had no you know place to turn to i had nobody to talk to i had no reference point and so to me it was just like man your buddy just died man we were just hanging out yesterday you were just hanging out with him. How the heck is he not here no more? How am I never going to see this person again? And it was just like one of those things where like, man, this is pretty sad. Like this is all life is. This is it's pretty bad. Wow. But I mean, it was no, no one ever talked to me about dying. No one ever talked to me about Jesus or, you know, God. I knew God existed, but I didn't know who he was. So, so you, you believed in the God even though you didn't know who he was? Yeah. I remember crying myself to sleep sometimes at night, just hating my life. And I was young, you know, eight, nine years old. I just, I just remember like, you know, praying sometimes, God, like, I don't ever want to be like my parents, you know, I tell my, I just pray, you know, cause you know, one thing they teach you is that, you know, you can pray to God. But, you know, does he ever listen? Is he really listening? And I remember I'd always go to sleep sometimes and just pray, like, God, if you're real, you know, if this, you know, my life sucks. You know, I, this isn't, you know, the way I want it to be, but 
I remember praying, just not wanting to just get by like my parents were, not wanting to ever get married. And if I did get married, I told God I want to marry a church girl because in my mind, if you go to church, then it's not going to be like a typical family who's going to get divorced because I knew that God didn't like divorce. Wow. And I knew the damage it did to me. So I remember praying, you know, God, if I ever do get married one day, I'm going to marry a church girl. And it's funny looking at it back then. Oh, gosh. You know, as a kid, because that's exactly what happened. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. As a little kid already involved in, in getting high at a very early age, obviously you get high for a reason mm-hmm. and there is something to it that's enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a temporary right? fix. How quickly does that fade as a kid? I mean, was there like a, f- a couple years where it was exhilarating? Did you feel like you were getting away with something? It was exciting? I mean, at at first, it- but then it came to the place where well, my parents found out. You know, obviously they were upset, but then it was like my dad couldn't say nothing to me because I remember catching him smoking weed when I was six years old. He'd smoke in his bathroom, and I know what cigarettes smelled like. And so I knew it wasn't cigarettes that he was smoking. And so I was the kind of person where, okay, I got caught. Well, that's not going to change anything. You know, my dad is an alcoholic. All my family are alcoholics. My mom doesn't drink, but she was caught up in her own world doing her own thing. And so to me, it's just, it just became part of who I was. You know, it was like, okay, I got high, but I know that I'm going to need to get high again because this is going to end, you know, soon. And would your parents try? I mean, did they catch you on multiple occasions? They had to have known you were getting high. Yeah, but at that point, it was just like, well, they found out, but I'm, I'm going to do it anyways. Like, mm-hmm. there was no stopping I think if my mom would have been a mother, I don't think I would have probably been involved in what I probably was involved in. I mean, I maybe was, but maybe not to that extent. Mm-hmm. But it was almost like a just just became you just became desensitized to everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you mean by if she was a mother? What do you feel like was lacking? Everything. I mean, my brother, my younger brother is two years younger than me. Um, I remember I was seven, he was five, we'd catch the bus home and we'd be home all alone till like maybe five or six until my mom showed up. And so it was almost like from a young age, I was already on my own. Independent. Independent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and I don't, I'm not knocking my mom she probably just did what she knew how to do or probably trying to do the best that she could, but there was never any affection there was never any hugging or kissing or no family talks or there's nothing like that. I mean, even my father, my father was more of like a buddy and a friend more than a, than a father. And I think that's a lot of, I think that caused more damage than anything. Even when she'd come home, she would sit down and watch TV instead of spending time helping with homework. Just, you know, the things that parents are supposed mm-hmm. to do. And you know what? Talking now with my pastor, you know, he told me, Jason, don't be so hard on your mom. She just loves you the best the way she knows how. I moved to California when I was 18, December 20th, 1998. I moved to California. 
I remember telling my friends that I was going to go visit my mom, but I knew I wasn't coming back. I really didn't want anyone to know that I was moving because I really didn't care at that point. And so I told everyone, yeah, I'm gonna go visit my mom for Christmas. But I had no, I bought a one-way ticket. I had no intentions of coming back or going back to Texas. Why did you do it that way? Just because I had nothing there. I mean, I felt like mm. for the moment I was done living there. And I finished high school, so I lived with my mom until I was 21. We moved to Sacramento, and I lived with her for a few months, then I moved out. And started doing my own thing. So you're in the electrical business. How's that going for you? It's going great. So you you got better at it. And yeah. Your job, your boss got, decided to keep you. We went to school, did an apprenticeship, got my contractor's license, and went on my own. All right. So you feeling good about yourself because you're making an honest living now. Well, see, Tell me. that's all I was about <laughs> was chasing buddy. Okay. So I knew that if I stuck it out for the long term I would reap the rewards later but I knew that being an apprentice in the first five years is just going to be me grinding it out learning all I can and so I told myself if I can stick this out for the long haul it's going to pay off that was my motivation and at that point it was more like I'm going to prove my family wrong I'm going to prove everybody wrong that I'm not just a you know reject or screw up the way that everybody looked at me when I first moved to California that was kind of the drive behind it was the money and to prove something yeah okay so how'd that go I just knew that I'm making an honest living so it was like less looking over my shoulder less worried about getting busted and you know going to jail or prison or whatever it was more like well at least I'm making honest money did you feel like your family was proud of you or impressed I mean did it work I don't think initially, because my dad told me, you don't, you don't want to be an electrician. It's dangerous. But I think now, yeah, I was doing well, living on my own, doing my own thing. And I mean, what could they say? They probably never vocalized it, but then, but I mean, at that point, it was more like, well, I'm kind of on my own. I'm grown. I don't really need your... <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Your... So you proved something to yourself, too. Yeah. All right, well, where did Jesus come in? What what happened to Jason? I I met a girl one day, and I remember talking on the phone with her, and she used to not really witness to me, but told me she went to church. And so I always had a reverence for God. I just didn't know God. Like I remember like when the Mormons would come knock on my door. You know, I didn't want to... I don't want to listen to what you have to say or I don't want nothing to do. But I remember like if I were to come home and there was like a pamphlet on my door and it, you know, if I looked at it and it said something about God, like there was just something inside of me that said, you need to read this. So I had like this reverence, like, okay, I'm going to throw this away. But before I throw it away, I would always read it, which was just weird mm-hmm. because I knew like, well, you know, maybe God, you if you are real. You know, maybe I need to know who you are or something. But it's nothing like everyone, anyone ever like witnessed to me or knocked on my door. Other than Mormons, and I even knew Mormons were just crazy people. So I met this girl. And I just remember talking to her. And she told me she'd go to church. And she would tell me just like these stories and these testimonies. 
And to me, it was interesting because, you know, growing up on the streets and, you know, not having a family really or nothing. And then when she starts talking about Jesus and God, it was just one of those things where like, it was like, there was just a reverence there. Like I, you know, respected it, but I guess you could say I was kind of drawn to it. And so I remember we had been friends, kept in touch for maybe like three or four years. And then I just remembered one day I just called her up and said, Hey, I think I wanted to be in, I think I'm interested in getting to know you more. And it was only because maybe she had something that I didn't know or mm-hmm. she was just different, put it that way. Yeah. And she lived two hours away from me. So I remember she said, hey, will you, if you want to date me, come to church. And so I kind of followed her to church. <laughs> to me, I didn't really care about Jesus or God. Like mm-hmm. I was just trying to get in bed with her. Mm-hmm. And I figured, well, if that's all it takes, then sure, I'll come to church with you. And so I remember we'd go to church and I remember, you know, I really didn't care, you know, I'm, I'm here, this is new, this is different. And I laugh at it because it's just funny to me because God used that girl to bait me. <laughs> and so I'd go to church on Sunday and I never heard the gospel. But this pastor of this church, he was a black guy from Philadelphia and he, he was a Holy Ghost preacher. <laughs> like he would just break it down like I've never like I said had no interest in church but I made it a point like okay if I'm going to come here I'm going to give this my full undivided attention and I just remember they pull an altar call and I remember my heart would start pounding and it was just like like what's going on because I've never been to church I've never been to a Christian church I mean let me back up. When I was like 15, 14, 15, I was hanging around some kids who invited me to a Wednesday night church. And I remember this was probably back like in 95. I remember going on Wednesday nights and I remember that was when the whole left behind thing started happening. And I remember, I'd go high though. I didn't care. I'd go, I'd smoke weed and get out high and I'd go. But I remember like, they'd pull an altar call and I'd like, I'd raise my hand like, man, if this left behind thing is for real, like, man, if you're a sinner, man, that's me, God, my life's jacked up. And I remember every time I went, I always answered the altar call. Wow. But there was no one who ever followed up on me. Sure. No one who ever said, hey, man, you should come here. Hey, let's hang out. It was nothing like that. It was like, if you came, you came. And you know, I didn't really care because like, I mean, I showed up high, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't something that was mm-hmm. serious. Mm-hmm. I think if it had been a fellowship like God church. God is kind of drawing on your heart, but you didn't even really know what your response meant. You just know you didn't want to get left behind. Yeah. I guess it was more like a fear type thing. Yeah. Like you scared, scared me. And so, um. And if you have a Catholic background, it's like, well, I just do my thing and then I go back and do it. Yeah. And so even before I met this girl, I started going to like Sunday church in a Catholic church. Just, I just pop up to one. Because in my mind, it's like, well, if I go to church, then maybe I can change. But it was almost like punching in a time clock. Okay, God, I came to church. I feel good. The week was Monday. The day was Monday, and I felt good because I went to church. But there was never, uh, there was never no change. Like I felt like I would um, go to church on Sunday and then ask God to forgive me for the sins I was going to commit that week. Whoa. Yeah. 
no plan of changing just just just, no god i know i'm gonna go probably fornicate probably get drunk and do some drugs and you know stuff that sinners do forgive me god and here i am to ask for my forgiveness or ask for you to forgive me and the next week we go by and i remember doing that off and on just because i was so lost i'd been i didn't know anything anything else like i you know i gave my life to alcohol and drugs and perversion at a young age and it was just like at this point like what is there more what's more there what is there more than um <laughs> what more is what more is there to life <laughs> back to the church i'd go every sunday faithfully i'd drive two hours go to church with this girl and you th- would drive two hours yeah. to go to church with her yeah and at first it was just you know clean nothing but then we started fornicating and then i remember feeling convicted wow and so i remember telling her like man i should probably go up there because like i said like the altar call would be you know raise your hand you want to give your life to jesus my heart would just start pumping and i had no idea what what it was but something was happening i was i just didn't know what to do but then my pride would be like what you need to go down there for and so that went on for, I don't know, probably a year or so. So when you felt conviction, was that your first time that you remember? Yeah, I just remember like even being like, even like fornicating, like thinking like, man, I, I'm not married to this girl. I shouldn't be doing this. And to me, it was like, I'm a raw sinner. This girl knows better. Wow. And so and that hip- hypocrisy. Well, see, at that time, I was just kind of like, maybe that's just how church is because like I said I grew up God forgive me I'm gonna mess up anyways Mm. I'm gonna go do this and that but you're gonna forgive me so I just figured that's just how it was but then I remember we'd have these conversations and I remember her aunt was like saved her uncle was saved and I remember she told me that she didn't want to be my stepping stone And I was like, well, I didn't understand what she meant by that. But I think that what happened was her family knew that God was trying to do something in me and she was getting in the way of it. So she broke up with me. And I just remember at that point, let me back up. Before we started fornicating, I mean, you know, any sinner, that's their whole goal is fornicating. But I remember like the first time Something inside of me like said, I don't want to do this because I don't want to ruin whatever's going to come out of this because every other relationship I've had, this is how it's wow. became. And so I remember... This I rem- is how it's been destroyed? Is that yeah. What okay. yeah. Not only that, but just the emotional attachment. Sure. Just the, you know, the heartaches and the heartbreaks and just the damage that I've been through. And I just, I just didn't want to feel that pain anymore. But, you know, you're... Sin is going to get the best of you. And so I remember when she um, pretty much broke up with me, I remember that that was pretty much like one of the lowest times that I was, that I've been in my life because I gave this girl full access to my heart, everything, thinking that she was different than everybody else. And so I remember when that relationship ended, I was kind of like, didn't really know what to do. Like I was all in, you know what I mean? I knew there had to be something different about this relationship than all my other ones, or it was going to end up the same as them all, as all the other ones. I remember calling her mom one day, 
asking her like, hey man, like I don't understand what's going on. You know, why is it like this? And I remember her mom telling me, Jason, you need Jesus. She says, you need Jesus. And I, to me, I didn't understand what she meant by that. And I said, but what about your daughter? She said, forget my daughter. She goes, if you love Jesus the way you love my daughter, then you wouldn't even care about what's happening right now. And so I remember when I hung up the phone, all I kept thinking about is, you That's need to know amazing. Jesus. Yeah. It's amazing for her to say that to you. So I just remember just being broken, messed up, jacked up, hopeless. And all I could think about is, Jason, you need Jesus. And so in my mind, I thought about the altar calls. That guy says the best decision you can make is give your life to Jesus. But you know, coming from the streets, you know, you independent, you do everything on your own. It's like you build up your own empire. Like you did this on your own. Like no one did this for you. This is who you are. And my pride was just like, it was like way up there. God, I remember God just smashed me. Like, I don't know. I don't think I've ever been that humbled in my life. And I remember I said, okay, well, if I need Jesus, I'm going to that church on Sunday and I'm going to raise my hand and I'm going to go down to that altar. Because if what that guy is saying is true, then I need it. Because I've my whole life has full of, been full of destruction, heartaches, heartbreaks, relationship to relationship, drugs, alcohol, perversion. I mean, I've given my whole life to this. If I've never given this guy a try, what if this is what I'm looking for? And so I remember the next Sunday, I drove all the way over there. And I remember when the altar call came, I, I was the first one to lift my hand. I was the first one to go down to that altar. And um, I remember just praying that prayer. And I remember the pastor who prayed with me told me that I need to find a home church where I live. He says, it's not realistic for you to drive two hours every Sunday to be part of this church, but you need to find a home church and you need to get connected. And so I remember I church shopped for like three months. I go into church every Sunday. Sometimes I go to two churches on a Sunday just because I was looking for a church. Like, I didn't know what to look for, but I knew that when I went up in there, I was like, I don't know if I want to be back in this place or <laughs> I don't know if I want to be part of these people. And um, I had a friend who, his wife had a brother who used to go to a fellowship church in Sacramento. And when I told him I was going to church, he says, I, got, I know a church we can go to. But at the time, the church just moved to a new location, and so he didn't know where it was. And then about maybe three or four weeks later, he's like, hey, I found out where the church is at. It's funny how God works, because this guy was a backslider. Backslider is somebody who used to live for God on the straight and narrow, turned his life around, and then decided to go back to the old life that God rescued him from. God used him to get me into this church and I remember when I went into the church, God spoke to me and said, this is where I want you. God used him to get me into a fellowship church. He took me there and I stayed there and he has been back since. Like, I don't ever hear yeah. it from God, but I just knew like this is where it was at. When I went there, I just felt like this is it. This is what I'm right. looking for. Yeah. And so I went, I went there for 
I remember six months. When I got saved, let me just throw this in there. I had long hair down in my butt. When I gave my life to Jesus, I shaved my head. I throw my clothes away. I throw my music away. I throw my porn away. I called all my friends, told them, hey man, I'm going to church if you want to hang out. I ain't going to the club no more. If you want to hang out with me, meet me at church on Sunday. And I was like radically converted. Night Is and day. this prompted by anyone? No. I just knew. When I prayed the sinner's prayer, I mean, I don't you know, want to get all theatrical or nothing like that, but I just knew that something inside of me changed. Like I can't explain it or put words in it, but the scripture I can think about is the guy who's searching for beautiful pearls. It says that he goes and he finds it and he he says he goes and he sells everything and he goes and buys it. That was me. Mm. I was like, I don't need this world anymore. I don't need these people who think are my friends. This music who is just shaped and formed my mind and the way I think. I don't need it. The way I dress. Like, it was almost like, I, I, don't, I can't think, I can't. I just knew it. I'm going to be serious about this. If anyone's going to know if I'm for real, the only way they'll know I'm for real is if I cut my hair. Because people would pay, they, they would ask me, dude, I'll give you $1,000 you cut your hair. And I was like, you know what? Keep your money. I'm not cutting my hair. And so I knew that when I cut my hair, I mean, my mom used to tell me all the time, dude, what's wrong? Cut your hair. You know, you're not a, you're not a girl. Cut your hair. People would, you know, they'd get mad at me and, you know, mm-hmm. just talk smack. And so I knew that if I cut my hair, people would know I'm for real. And so I shaved it. Like, I didn't just cut it. I shaved it bald. Like, I just said, you know what? I, I'm done. This is it. And so my transformation was so radical that my mom was, like, worried about me. Dad was worried about me. What's going on with you? Wow. But I knew, I knew, like, I just knew, like, 28 years living for the devil or the world, like, man, I was, I was tired. You were done. Done, yeah. And wow. so I remember it was just a radical transformation. I, I can't even put my, <laughs> I can't even explain it. Like, just one day to the next. To me, it's amazing that you did that unprompted. I, I mean, okay, I love my music. Yeah. I grew up on my Texas music. You know, my DJ screw and all the Texas stuff. And I had, man, I had CDs and tapes and boxes and boxes. Because that was like, I would listen to music too, you know. Like, that was like my escape too. Like, music was my thing. But I remember I, one day I was like, okay, I'm going to get rid of this. I'm going to get rid of this. You know, you want to hold on. I could still listen to this music. But I remember one day I was listening to this music and I started singing. And then, blah, and then all of a sudden, and then I stopped myself. I was about to cuss. And I was like... That was like, okay, I can't listen to this no more. It has to go. I remember I walked to my bedroom, went in my closet, got all my boxes, went outside, opened my dumpster, and threw it on there. Just <gasps> threw it all in. Wow. Just not even thinking. Nobody told me to get rid of it. I mean, wow. it was just, I knew, like, God was just dealing with me. Like, wow. you don't need this. You don't need that. And I just started getting rid of my stuff. That's amazing. So, fast forward the tape. I remember I was like, okay, well, I'm going to church now. I got to do everything I can to be involved. So I started going to a Bible study, going to church services. But I really started reading my Bible. And I've never been much of a reader. But I remember, like, I was like, I want to know who this Jesus is. And so I would read my Bible every day. Morning, we'd carpool. I'd read it. when I would, I'd read it on my way to work. I'd read it on my way home. When I got home, I'd read it because I wanted to know it. Like, I was just hungry. Like, 
this was a new life for me. I need to know this Jesus. I need to know this what this Bible says. And so I remember six months went by. I was gonna call this girl back up. And um, I remember I called her up and said, hey, I gave my life to Jesus. And you know, it wasn't like, oh yeah, that's great. But to me it was like, well, I realized like this girl just wanted a boyfriend to go to church and be a good boy, but I ended up getting like radically saved. Mm. And so I remember I had reached out, tried to like, you know, try to try reconnect. Yeah, her. reconnect. Yeah. And it, it started off okay because I knew at this point, like, this is what we do, this is what we're part of. But I think slowly over time as a new convert, I didn't really have like any accountability or nothing like that. And so didn't really have a relationship with my pastor at the time. And so slowly I started, you know, spending more time going over here and eventually ended up moving to where I'm at now in the Bay. And I remember we, I thought I was going to marry this girl. Like I got engaged to her and everything. Whoa. But, you know, at first it was good. I had total dominion, living right, living clean. And then it was just one compromise and then another compromise. And then we ended up fornicating. It was like in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. It was like immediately like, what did I just do? And the scarier part about that was that woman changed from night to day. Like there was respect, there was reverence. And then all of a sudden it was like total like disrespectful cussing yelling it was bad wow. and so i remember thinking to myself well i need to get i moved over here was going to that church but it's a mega church you're just another number lost in the shuffle there's no accountability and so i remember thinking to myself i need to get back into a fellowship church and so i knew there was one in san jose and so i remember i drove down there and went to a church service and they told me that there was a baby church where I live in Redwood City. And I went there and I remember I started serving God there. But at the time that I was in this relationship with this girl, I invited her to the church, but she didn't want nothing to do with it. I remember the pastor preached a sermon and he talked about Isaac and Abraham. He was talking about how Abraham put his Isaac on the altar. And he was like, what is God telling you to put on the altar? And God says, I want you to put this relationship on the altar. And I was just like, God, I don't know if I can do this. Right? Like I wrestled with this for like three weeks. But then I remember praying one day, I was like, God, but I really want this relationship to work. And God said, well, you can have this relationship, but everything that you've gotten from me up to this point, you're going to lose. And I took, and I just remember in my mind thinking, well, your word says that you'll never leave me, forsake me. But I think I've done everything that I can to make this relationship work and I've exhausted all options. And so I knew what I had to do. And that, that was the hardest decision I had to make, but it was the best decision that I made because had I continued in this relationship, she would have totally robbed me of my destiny and everything. Wow. Because I knew that God called me to preach. I mean, I didn't know, you know, exactly. Like he didn't say, oh, you're going to be this or that. But I remember when I was going to the fellowship church in Sacramento, we used to go to the university and they would have like Bible study for like the college kids. 
And I remember me and another guy would go because at the time the church wasn't really doing a whole lot. But I was just hungry. Like I wanted to be involved. I wanted to know God. I want anything, any opportunity that I had, I wanted to know. And so I remember we used to go to Sac State and there would be like this youth group or I don't know what you call it. And I remember there was a young guy there and he was probably a student there. And I just remember like he'd do the Bible study and he'd preach. And it was just something inside of me. But like, man, like I want to do that. Like I want to do that. Like, I want to be used like that. And I didn't know, like, you know, I'm just saved fairly, you know, a few months. And I remember I'd always walk up to this guy and be like, hey, man, man, you're, you're awesome. Like, what you did was great. And I didn't even know this guy. Oh, my God. But just something inside of me was just, like, drawn to that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Looking back now. But that's just something that God had put in me when I got saved. It just amazes me being where I'm at to the extent that God would go to to get me where he wants me. Wow, that is amazing. He uses a girl to bait me, then gets me over here to the bay to get me plugged into this church and to where I'm at now. It just, it blows my mind. Like you can't even wow. orchestrate something like that. That's insane. And so really quick, because I remember in Redwood City, mm-hmm. you saw a lot of conversions, Yeah. correct? Yeah. And so that's the crazy part. When I finally decided, God, I'm going to serve you, the church had just... I think the church at the time was a Spanish church and all the Spanish people left and the pastor decided he was going to do English. And so I remember I called him. It was the Saturday of July conference, 2010. And I remember I had just said, hey, I want to come to your church. I live right here in Menlo Park. It's a four mile drive. And so I remember I went into the church and it was him and his wife and his three kids. And I think there was two other people. And so I just remember when I started going, I went up to him immediately and I just said, I want you to disciple me. Just because I knew that if I didn't go all in. Is that not a dream for a pioneer pastor to have a young man come in and say, I want you to disciple me? Yeah. And I remember him looking at me like, he looked at me like I was crazy, but then he says, okay, okay. He just told me a few things and I said, I'm on board. Like I didn't know a whole lot, but I knew that I knew I just severed this relationship with this girl that I invested in, in I don't know how many years. I know that God is the only answer to my life and I need to do everything and anything I can to be part of the church. And so I did that more for, more for like an accountability thing. Mm-hmm. Like I I need you to follow up. I need you to mm-hmm. call. I need you, I need you to decide. Teach me. Yeah, yeah, teach me. And so I remember I was probably number eight. The pastor's three kids. And there's another couple there. I was number eight or nine person there. I was it. And I was there for about a year and a half. But I was involved. Like, I remember when I made that decision, God started to really use my life. Like, I was going to morning prayer every morning. I was, I became an usher. I was, like, the first usher they had. I mean, outreach, everything. I mean, anything, anything I could do to be involved in, I was there. And so I just knew that I had to go all in. And what did you see from that? Man, people were coming. I mean, it's crazy. Like, not knowing a whole lot then. I mean, it was a baby church, but it was a self-supported church. We were having six revivals a year, all paid for. People were coming. We were having visitors. We were, we were, we were running like 40, 50 people. Amazing. And it was crazy because, I don't know, I just... 
Do you remember the first person you prayed with? I remember we when I used to live in Sacramento, we used to go outreaching at the university. I prayed with one. I didn't even. I remember I talked to this dude and told him about Jesus and you need to give your life to him. And then he says, okay. And then he's like, you want to pray? He's like, yeah. And I remember thinking, I, like, I don't know what to say. Like, <laughs> I, I told one of the guys, hey, can you pray with this guy? He's like, wow. how do you how do you say this to this prayer? Wow. And I just it's raw. Raw, yeah. So cool. We just went on outreach and That's people cool. were responding. That's cool. What did your What did your family say? What did your family and your friends say to your your change? At first, yeah, they didn't like it. I remember my mom's husband telling me that my mom is having a hard time with my change, and I said, "Well, what's the, what's the problem?" And she says, "I don't know. It's just too sudden. Like it's just too." It's too fast. It's happened all too fast. Like, it's just, it's very intense. And so I remember I approached my mom and I said, Mom, what's the problem? She said, what do you mean? I says, you have a problem with the way I am? And she didn't say nothing. I said, I said, so I started going to church. I cut my hair like you've been begging me to cut my hair. Because I don't cuss anymore. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. But you're telling me that you like me better when I was selling drugs, robbing people, stealing, sneaking girls into my house. You like me better then? And all of a sudden, it was almost like a light bulb went off. Whoa. And I said, so why are you sweating me? And so she didn't really have a whole lot to say. Mm-hmm. My brothers, you know, everyone just, you know, oh, this is just a phase. Yeah, I've been where you're at before. I've, I've been there before. You're, you'll get over it. So, okay, well, here I am 13 years later, and I'm still going through my phase, I guess, because I tell them this is who I am, and that's going to change. And what do they say about it now, now that it's been some time? Well, now I think they, more, they respect it now. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They don't go to church or nothing like that, but... Mm-hmm. Um, they know where I stand they know what I'm about they know who I used to be they know where I, things I used to do mm-hmm. so they can't argue that something didn't happen but I tell my brothers you know Jesus can change you like he changed me I tell my family all the time uh, my friends know where I stand if you could articulate what happened when you decided to surrender how did it change the way you thought how do you, how do you put that into words what happened well, I know that when I started reading my Bible, I started to realize like the way that I was thinking, the way that the things that I was taught growing up was all backwards. And so I almost had to like reprogram my mind to like start thinking differently. You know, like nobody told me how to dress. Nobody told me how to talk to people. Like things that your parents should teach you or show you. Those are things that like I never learned. So I remember when I started reading my Bible, it was almost like God was telling me like you're one of me now like you're my child I'm gonna show you what your parents didn't show you right and so I just remember at that point because I was always rebellious growing up but I just remember thinking like I need to do things right and so if this is gonna work I need to do it God's way right surrendering I just say you just gotta go all in like there's Mm -hmm. no Mm -hmm. if ands or buts like there's no there's no calling the shots. 
it's you you don't come to god on your terms you come on his terms and so i just feel like if you don't surrender give god your all like you can't use your life like you're, there's not going to be like any change well me personally i just tell people like this like god doesn't want somebody he wants all of you and so until you're willing to give god your everything it's like a puzzle like putting a puzzle together how many times have you put in a puzzle together and there's like pieces missing and you think oh man we're almost done and then there's like three or four pieces missing you're like all that work and we can't even complete it mm-hmm. it's the same way with god like if you don't give him everything it's like well he needs every piece of you before he can start putting it back together again growing up in in the south like people are very friendly you talk to your neighbors you say hi to people like yeah. i don't know if it's just my the way i was brought up but i've always loved being around people and so when i see people i'm like man if god can change me mm-hmm. that's it's nothing to, to this person like whatever they're going through like pff, that's easy you know what i mean mm-hmm. like god can change you like you don't know what i've been through or what i've done but that doesn't matter like i know what god's saved me from and where he's pulled me out of and if he can do that with my life he can do that with anybody's life and so if there's somebody who's like, they want to change, but they don't even know where to start, who do you, yeah. what do you say? I'd say find a church and, and plug yourself into it. Even I, I witness to people all the time and you know, I go to church. Where do you go to church at? Oh, so-and-so. Well, do you go to church there or are you, are you plugged in or do you just show up? Oh, no, I show up. Oh, okay, well, you need to plug in because if you're not plugged into a place, then you're never going to make it. Showing up's not good enough. You know, because I showed up to a mega church. But I was just another number. Nobody followed up on me. Nobody knew that Jason didn't show up today. What's the recipe for plugging in? Get involved. Go meet your pastor. Introduce yourself. Have a relationship with him. Or the young girls who comes in my church texted me last week telling me that she had a friend who's struggling with lust. And I said, well, where does your friend live? You know, what church does he, does he go to church? Yeah. Does he have a relationship with his pastor? No. And to him, it was so foreign. So, well, if he wants to be free, he needs to get some accountability. Hmm. And she said, well, he has a pastor, but she, he doesn't talk to him. I said, well, if he needs, if he's not going to go approach him and talk to him, then he needs to go find another church where the pastor is available because that's the whole purpose of them being there. Hmm. And she says that when she tells people that she has a relationship with her pastor and they talk and whatnot. They, everyone thinks it's so foreign, but she's like, I can't imagine it being another way. So you need to plug in. You need to find a place and serve, become part of the church family because if ultimately the people there are going to help you. Tell me about the church girl you married. My, my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to know about her? I just think it's ironic that you prayed as a kid that you wanted a church girl. Yeah, so married. it's funny. There's three things I prayed for when I was a kid, and I'll share them with you. One was I just didn't want to get by. Like, I saw my mom work, 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 just to live paycheck to paycheck. My dad, pretty much the same thing. So I realized, I remember, you know, wanting to, like, go hang out with my buddies or go to the movies or do something. And, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of money. So I wasn't able to go, but I'd get upset. Like, man, this isn't fair. I'm a kid. I'm, I should be able to go have fun. And so I remember praying and saying, God, I don't want to, I don't want to ever be like my mom and dad. They're bad with money. I don't want to just get by. And the second thing I prayed for was 
a church girl. Like, I'm going to get married one day. If I do get married, I want to marry some a girl who's in church. And then my third thing was, I want to marry someone who doesn't... I don't want my wife to work. Because I knew that my mom, even though she... I saw how she was gone for so long. Like, why do I have to come home from school with my younger brother or I'm seven years old and sit there and wait for my mom to show up two or three hours later? I think back now, and it's like, man, seven years old, man, that's young. Mm-hmm. But... I don't know, like, it just, you did what you did. And so that was one of the reasons why I just wanted, if I have kids, God, I want my wife to my, the mother of my children to be home to raise my kids. And this is, I'm a sinner, like I'm a broken home, you know, no, no parents. Just because I remember I'd go to my friend's house and I'd see them with their mom and their dad. And it was like, it's missing in my life. You know what I mean? And so I remember the guy who invited me to church when I was 15, I remember going to his house, hang out with him. And I remember, I just always wanted to go to his house because his mom and dad were there. His brothers were there. And it was like the perfect family. Like I've always wanted to be part of that family. And so like there was something that was inside of me that was drawn to that. And so looking back now, it's funny that my buddy, they were Christians, but I didn't know that at the time. And so I just remember like the mom and the dad were like always nice and they were like laid back, didn't cuss, didn't drink. To me, that was foreign. I grew up around that my whole life. And so I remember when I met my wife, those three things were something that God put in me when I was a kid. And so I remember one day we were just think, chatting, email or something. Just asked her like, what do you want to do with your life or what, what are you looking for? And she said, well, I knew she was a church girl, but when she said, um, she said that, you know, I don't want to go to work. I want to be a, a home housewife. And I was like, wow, that's pretty interesting. Wow. And then where I'm at now, I have a small business. So obviously I'm not liking finances because I live mm-hmm. one of the most expensive places <laughs> in the U.S. I'm able to be here. So yeah, it's just interesting, you know, looking back and I was like, wow. Like God. He answered your prayer. Mm-hmm. He heard your prayers. That's amazing. As a kid. Yeah. No, I tell my wife all the time. I was like, it blows my mind. Even in prayer in the morning sometimes, I'm like, God, you're like you were listening to me when I was crying myself to sleep, telling you how much I hated myself. Like just life wasn't fair, you know. And Andrea is not just a church girl. She's like raised by like one of the greatest men of all time. Yeah. You know? No, I know. And that's the crazy part was because God knows my desires. And so it's almost like the fact that I'm able to be part of that family is just like it just blows my mind. Because I didn't know her dad before when I knew when I met her. Yeah, I remember when you met her. <laughs> yeah, because she would always say, "You know who my dad is?" And I was like, "I don't know who your dad is. Do you know who I'm? Does your dad know who I am?" But I didn't understand why she was asking that. Until, yeah, yeah, yeah. Until sure. Yeah. Oh my god. And she said that's one of the reasons why she even talked to me. Oh wow! Because you didn't know who her dad yeah. was. You were just interested in her. Yeah. Because she so said cool. that so many people would want to talk to her just because of who she was. Yeah. But to me, that's like people are crazy. <laughs> I'd never do that. That's really cool. So how, okay, so just really briefly, where are you at today? Today? Where is your salvation brought you today? My salvation has brought me to San Francisco to reach this crazy city. What made you decide San Francisco? God told me to go, like Jonah. Um, <laughs> so I knew that if I wanted to, get sent out or do something for God I needed a wife and so I remember 
when we got married, I knew, okay, now we can finally go do something for God. But that didn't happen quite the way we expected it or intended it to happen. And so, you know, we were on deck for a while. But I remember um, going to conference. I go to every conference. I've been going since I plugged into the Redwood City Church. I just made it a point to go. And so I remember going to conference. And like I said, we've been wanting to go out, but it got to the point where like, it just became this mundane thing. Like, oh, it's just conference. Like, you know, we're not going to get sent out. You know, we're not going to get sent out, right? Going through like a big church split and, you know, just all a bunch of other things that are involved in church. Pastoral changes. And so, you know, we just kept our heart right and just served. And um, went to conference in January 21. And I'll be totally honest with you. I just went like just another regular conference. My wife is pregnant finally. Eight years, miracle baby on the way. And uh, my pastor comes up to me on Wednesday morning and asked me if I'm ready to do something for God. I said, Pastor, I've been ready to do something for God. It was just the day I got saved. And then he's like, okay. And then he said, well, Jason, every time I come to conference, I pray, God, is this is this the conference, you know? Is it time to send? Is it time to launch? And he says, and God always checks me and tells me, no. He said, but when I was praying, he said, God said yes, but he said San Francisco. And he said he put an SF on his notepad and he circled it. And he says, I don't know how you feel about that because I've always wanted to go back to Redwood City because before the church split, my pastor left. I was there for a year and a half and I just saw how the church grew and how God was using my life. So I just figured it's going to go back to Redwood City, go redig the wells. And that's always been my prayer. God, Redwood City, Redwood City. Like I'd pray specifically Redwood City. Like God, open the doors, make it happen. Give me, you know, resources and individuals and just put just pray and just kind of like put stuff in place before everything goes down because my heart was set in that place and so I remember he said well I know your wife's about to have a baby and you know things are kind of crazy he said you know we can wait till next conference but man I know we've been waiting so long I was like no no we ain't gonna wait <laughs> we ain't gonna wait right yeah but I said well you know San Francisco wasn't on my radar like, I, I just, when he said San Francisco, my heart sunk. Whoa. Just because I know what goes on here. Mm-hmm. Before I got saved, I used to come here. We used to party here. We used to go to concerts. And my cousin used to live here. And I just, I know what happens here. And so, you know, San Francisco is a beautiful place to visit. But I, I remember telling you, I'd never want to live here. Never. Whoa. I mean, it's that, it's that grimy here. Mm-hmm. You know, people think the Golden Gate Bridge and Alcatraz and the wharf, but like people drive down the Tenderloin, you know, drive, drive down a couple of these streets and you'll get a reality check. I mean, when it's gotten a lot worse the last couple of years, you know, when, when Andrea's dad came, I drove him down Tenderloin and he was so tripped out. He, he asked me, he's like, are we still in America? Hmm. I mean, he just was kind of like tripping. So. I just know the things that go on here, and I would never want to live here. 
So I told my pastor, well, I'll go back and talk to my wife and see what she has to say. <laughs> and so I remember going back to our hotel room and I told her exactly how the conversation went. And she said the same thing. She said, I don't want to go to San Francisco. I hate that place. It's exactly what I, I, I hate that place. And so um, I said, well, let's just pray, Andrea. Let's pray. God, if this is where you want us to go, then we'll go. But you need to make it crystal clear. You know, I don't I don't want to tell my pastor no. I don't also, I don't want to go to San Francisco. This mm-hmm. is, I, I've been praying for Redwood City for like eight years. Like San Francisco is like a whole nother ball game. Mm-hmm. And so I remember telling my wife, I was like, okay, well, when we go, when we get, you know, announced and, you know, they pray for people, I said, I prayed God to give me two words to confirm it. Because I know people get a word and I get mm-hmm. it, but I said, God, I need you to make this for real. Like, I need you to like, make this make make it clear mm-hmm. so when we went we got announced and we got prayed for and we got three words and then i told my wife well i guess we're going to san francisco well and not only that they were specific to san francisco it's mm-hmm. like they're specific to like you're questioning whether you should go here or like this is the city for you right mm-hmm. if i'm recalling yeah. right yeah pastor ruby had said some things because you know we've had some conversations when he comes and preaches and whatnot and he knows, he knows what goes on here, mm-hmm. but it just took me by surprise because I was not expecting that at all, wow. any of that. Wow. But in my mind, I look looking back now, I just back to the whole intricacy of God, like the small little things that He does to get us to where He wants us. Like, you know, when I was still dating that girl. I remember she asked me one time, I remember complaining, like, man, my boss is a jerk. He cusses, he yells, like, man, I don't want to work for this guy. And she was just telling me one day, why don't you work for yourself? And that never crossed my mind. Like, how could I do that? And she's like, well, what does he do that you, you don't have? And I just remember, well, he has a license. She's like, well, why don't you go get your license? Wow. And I'm like, can I really do that? And I just remember thinking, like, even getting my license and going out on my own, and then being able to live where we live, I look back and I'm thinking like, if it wasn't for my business, I wouldn't be able to live here. Mm-hmm. But I look back and I'm like, God had already planned that mm-hmm. to set me up to where I'm at now to be able to sustain and live here. And my wife doesn't have to work, which is on top of all that. You know, it's funny. I was at conference in January and I was talking to one of the pastors and I'll forget how my rent came up. And uh, I showed him how much I paid for my rent. He he said, he's like, dude, I almost had a heart attack. He's like, I'm complaining about what I pay. And I showed him because I told him that my landlord was trying to raise my rent. And he was just like, dude, I done almost fell over. But it's so normal to us because this is where we live. Like, wow. But I, I just, I, it blows my mind. God orchestrated all that though. All of it. Yeah. All of it. Just... Being able to be here because of that. And in my mind, I'm like, God, we serve a big God. Like, mm-hmm. we're in a big city. San Francisco is like 49 square miles, seven miles north and south and east and west. Like, there's a million people crammed into there. But we're like, everybody knows San Francisco. And so 
just the fact that we'll be able to even to sustain that just blows me away. That's... But it's all God. Yeah. It's all God. Like I said, San Francisco was never on my radar. Never even would have thought about San Francisco. Matter of fact, I stayed far away from San Francisco. And here we are. Especially right as you're becoming a parent. Like, that's the first thing that came to my head. Yeah. Like, it just my reaction would be like, I don't want to raise my kid in San Francisco. You know? But God just confirming it. And then, because I'm giving you a leading question again, but I remember Andrea telling me about all the things, very specific things she prayed for in a house. Mm. And she got all of them. Okay, yep. Yeah, I can talk about it. Yeah, so one of the biggest things even even to come to San Francisco is find a place to live. Because what a lot of people don't understand is in the Bay Area, like there's there's more money than you can even shake a stick at. Like people, like there's, San Francisco is one of the places with the most billionaires. Growing up, everybody wanted to be a millionaire. Millionaires nowadays, like where we live, is everyone's a millionaire here. If you're a billionaire, then you're doing something. So trying to find a place to live here is really hard because someone's renting their house for like three grand. Well, these tech people, they got so much money, they're having bidding wars. I'll give you four grand. And to them, it's not even a big deal. And so for people like us, it's like, man, I, I can't afford another thousand dollars. Like that's, mm. that's insane. Mm. And so I remember whenever we, we got back from conference, we started praying, God, okay, you want us to go to San Francisco. We need a home. We need a house because we just moved from a two bedroom condo that we lived in for like six years. Cause we were on a month to month event. Cause we thought we were going to get sent out. We're like, finally, like we're never going to get sent out. We're just going to move to a house. And we move into this bigger house twice the size of where we were at, buy all this furniture and deck it all out. And then we're like, well, now we got to move again. And we're only there for a year and like a few months. And so we're like, God, we don't, we don't want to, you know, sell all our stuff. We just bought all this stuff. Like we want a home that we can facilitate what you want us to do. And also my wife always prayed for, she wants a house or a kitchen that's part of, or open to the living room. Because every time we have Bible study at her house, she'd always be in the other room cooking, separated from the living room. So she'd always wanted an open concept. And I remember we were looking for a house. We pulled up to this one. And it's amazing because from the outside, it doesn't look like a whole lot. Mm. But whenever we came inside, we actually came inside the downstairs. And there's a whole living room downstairs with two bedrooms and a bathroom and a garage. And we're like... Is this all of the house? Then we go upstairs and it's like three more bedrooms, two more bathrooms, this huge living room. Amazing this, view. This, this, <laughs> this huge kitchen that's yeah. like open to the living room. And so I remember thinking like, man, we can have a church downstairs. Mm-hmm. Like that was my first thing. Like, God, this can be our church right here. And so um, we ended up applying for it and we ended up getting it. And it's funny because, you know, once we, once we moved in, we had some, some, we had to call like a handyman to fix some things. Mm-hmm. And the handyman, I was talking to him and he goes, yeah, man. I, I, he's like, I've done some work on this house before. And I says, really? I said, like, what do you mean? I said, how long has this place been vacant? He's like, this has been vacant for like three or four months. He said, I don't understand people. He says, people will come in here and they were like, no, I don't like this. No, I don't like that. No, I don't like that. No, we don't want this. We don't want this. And when me and Andrew came in here, we're like, man, this house is perfect. God, we could do a church here. We could have Bible study upstairs. We could do that. We could have fellowship. 
and it was almost like that God just saved this Waited, house. Preserved it for you. For us, yeah. Because yeah. I remember her, you know, as my friend working through going to San Francisco too. Mm-hmm. And I remember the park blew mm-hmm. her mind because she always thought it was just like all city. Yeah. And like you could literally go to that park right here behind your house and yeah. not even see the city. And then I remember her telling me, that um, it needed to be close to the freeway mm-hmm. because of the traffic here. Yeah, it's stupid. And and because you had to be able to still commute. Mm-hmm. And so, and the exit's like right there. Mm-hmm. And I'm going counter commute, so it's even better because everyone coming into the city for work and I'm leaving the city. Oh. And then I'm coming in back for home, so I'm going counter commute. So you're not, you're not like stuck in traffic. No. You're going the other way yep. where everyone's coming in. Wow, that's so cool. Thanks for coming on today, Jason. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to see you guys take San Francisco for Jesus. And now it's documented.